What's up, everybody? Ron Placone here. Some event updates. First of all, Chicago. I understand there was a tech glitch at Reggie's. I'm really sorry to hear that. Everybody who wanted a refund should have already gotten one. If you didn't, please email me. And what we're going to do to make up for it on March 1st, that's March 1st, it's a Friday night. I'm going to be hosting a virtual screening at 7 p.m. Central Time, same time the movie was. We're going to be hosting a virtual screening, and that's going to be free for all Chicago ticket holders. Uh, So... For anyone who was at the Chicago event, again, we're very, very sorry. Uh, shout out to everyone who did their best. Just unfortunately, there was a circumstance out of everyone's control, but we will be making up for it. We're going to have a virtual event March 1st. I'll be there. We'll do a short show, a screening, a Q&A after, and it is free for all Chicago ticket holders. Uh, also, other screenings coming up. February 22nd, Tucson, Arizona. February 29th, Omaha, Nebraska. On March 18th, Washington, D.C., and that's a free screening, by the way. March 22nd, I will be in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, doing a show, a screening, and a Q&A after. April 14th, we're doing a show, screening, and Q&A in Los Angeles, California. And June 8th, show, screening, and Q&A in Idlewild, California. Come hang out in the mountains with us. It's an amazing theater up in Idlewild. I'm really stoked for that one. Tickets and all information at romplacone.com. And again, uh, any Chicago ticket holders who did not get a refund or have any questions, please do not hesitate to email me. See you soon. Episode 23, Russ Rankin. Russ Rankin is the singer of the legendary punk band Good Riddance. He's also a hockey scout and a writer. Russ and I have some big pillars in common, punk rock, hockey, and lefty politics. Russ is a member of the Green Party USA. It's worth mentioning, this episode was recorded in December of 2023. At the time, I was registered as no party preference. I am now registered as a member of the Green Party USA. This conversation with Russ inspired that decision. Please welcome to the show, Russ Rankin. Russ Rankin, good to see you again, man. Good to see you, Ron. So what got you into music? That's a good question. I I think, I mean, I... My dad sang in a choir at church, uh, and there was always music in my house. I think probably my first big deal was was getting into Kiss when I was like in fourth grade. I went and bought my first record I bought with my own money was Kiss Alive. I just thought it was so cool. And then, and then the fact that like neither parents nor teachers liked it made it even cooler for me. And I just thought that was the cool like Kiss was the coolest thing going. Uh, I used to I'd get my my mom had like a tennis racket and I would pretend I had it was a guitar. I was pretend I was H freely, like air guitaring with it with a tennis racket. And I think that's probably the first music I really got into. Mm-hmm. Well, that what what happened post Kiss? What was next for you? Post Kiss, probably. Oh man. I, I mean, for a while after that, I, I was just like, I was a surfer. I listened to reggae and whatever was on the radio. And then like in 1983, I heard punk rock for the first time. And then that was, that was it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard the dead Kennedys and just dove, it dove into the deep end of punk rock and hardcore music and kind of have been there ever since. So, well, sticking with that then, is there, because I, I, I recently saw you had an appearance on one of my favorite podcasts, the Krista Bakes podcast, um, and I, as of the recording of this, have not gotten to listen to your episode yet, but I plan to soon, and, and the they referenced the Darkest Days song, which kind of came a little later for Good Riddance, so I was curious, do you have a favorite good riddance era like is there a particular era where you're like this is when we were really in the pocket or or do they all kind of have their special moments i think that our second album was a big deal for us because we we came in to our first album and to be in on fat records and we really had no idea what we were doing we were just a local band that was working working our tails off and 
discovering like going into the studio for the first time with an actual budget kind of and a producer and a really good engineer it laid bare like all of our uh shortcomings as a band me mm. i could speak for myself like going to render a line of singing and having like ryan green be like hey you were flat and i had no idea what that meant or how mm. to fix it or anything and i was just like realized i was in way over my head and but then like that having a year go by and like touring a lot and concentrating on songwriting and like going in to do our second album me as a songwriter i felt much more confident knew what to expect kind of knew what we were doing a little bit more so that was an exciting time for us i think for me as a songwriter probably for our whole band and then when we recorded symptoms of a leveling spirit which i think was in 2001 that was really cool too it was another really grounded record i felt confident writing the songs i thought it was one of our strongest records the band that was probably like the apex of, of our band's uh, popularity, if you want to call it that. Like we, I remember Fat Records having a marketing meeting about that record, which had never happened before, thinking of all these ways to push it. We were in every weekly when we went on tour. I did so many interviews. And that was kind of a cool feeling. Like you could feel the whole label behind us pushing that that record and that, that year of touring. And that was really a cool thing. And then probably when we took took five years off from playing and then got back and recorded a couple albums. That was really cool too, just because we'd uh, circling back to our roots and getting back, getting back into recording music as a band again was, was super fun. Uh, so there's kind of been three little pockets that I could think of that were for me, like above average experiences. Like anytime you get an opportunity to, to record an album and somebody's going to pay for it, like you're, you're a lucky band. So we're, we're grateful for all of that. But I think those three experiences for me, just quickly recalling are, are ones that stand out. Have you been to, uh, have you been to the museum yet? Fat Mike's punk rock museum? I have not. I would like to go. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious to go as well. I've not been yet. Well, are you, I mean, is there a chance we're going to see a Russ Rankin tour? I'll take your tour. If you're if you're a guide, I'm totally I don't I'm think I'd be, you. I don't think I'd be good. I think our bass player Chuck would be really good at it. I'm trying to get him to do it. Yeah. Uh, I think he cuz he's a lunatic. I think it would be great. <laughs> uh I don't think I'd want to do one. I, I mean I it was offered to me. It was offered to all of us. Um I don't think I'd be really good at it. But Why I do not? Go, I do want to go check it out just cuz I'm I'm uh I'm dry and quiet and just not really exciting to talk to so <laughs> <laughs> I think but, I, I think there's some there's some I think there's some bigger characters in our scene that would be more entertaining. Sure, 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 sure. Well, well, who who are some of your tops? I mean, I would go take Jack Grisham's tour. Okay, I would take Joe Escalante's tour. Uh, I would take Mike's tour if he did one. I would take who else? I mean, I, I think Pete from Sick of It All did one. I would love to do. I would love to go on Pete's tour. Uh, Smelly from No Effects. I'd love to do his tour. Oh yeah, that bit. Well, yeah. it pretty much. I mean, I, I did. Did you read their book? Parts I of mean, it. Yeah, I, 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 I read their book in, in its entirety, and that was yeah. And I'm sure you, you obviously have a lot of firsthand experience too. But, but yeah, that that book was pretty wow. But um, so what got you into hockey? Uh, this is gonna date me, but the 1980 winter Olympics miracle on ice. I was, I mean, I was very young, but I'd never seen anything like that before. And I was just riveted to it. Just the, the speed and the color and the violence. And I loved hockey ever since then. And then like living in a small beach town in California where there was no hockey, it was sort of just slim pickings for a while. Like I would, Every once in a while, ESPN would have games on, and I'd watch that. Mm-hmm. I'd watch those, kind of get to know the players in the league a little bit more, and listen to the color commentators on the broadcast to like pick up the finer points of the game that I didn't know. And it just became a, yeah, it became a thing for me. I just just loved it. Learned everything I could about it. That's so interesting because I, you know, I I grew up with it. You know, I yeah. I, I grew yeah. up in Pittsburgh, so yeah. I just grew up with hockey. It was, I mean, it wasn't quite 
as popular as say football or baseball, but, but it was, it was up there in a place like that. So I grew up with it. I knew how fun live hockey was at a very young age. I mean, I don't remember exactly what my first hockey game was, but I was definitely very young and I knew what a blast it was ever since then. So I don't really remember not being aware of that, you know? Well, when did you finally get to see it live then? I think there was an exhibition game played at in Oakland where the Warriors used to play sometime in the maybe late 80s or early 90s. And I went to that with some friends. And then my mom was uh, really in, involved early in the group that was lobbying to bring a team to San Jose, to bring a team to the Bay Area. And so she was she was in on the ground floor of that, like she donated some money and she was involved. And then once the sharks arrived, we, she and I went, had had season tickets since they, since they got here. So then we got to go to, you know, that was really cool getting a chance to go see NHL games. Local. Was your mom into hockey too? Or was she just, Hey, my kid will like this. I think a little of both. Like she, okay. she's from California, but she went to Cornell and she lived in uh, New York city after she got out of school and so she's been around it. Uh, she, she, she liked it. Uh, yeah, she, she was into it. I mean, she was into the sharks for sure. Mm-hmm. And, but for me, it was great because now, now I got a chance to go watch the best players in the world, which for a few years were not on the sharks, but, but the teams would come in, you know, like I got to see Wayne Gretzky play live and that was pretty cool. Um, Mario Lemieux, who you, I'm sure you're aware of. And, um, yeah, it was just that was it was awesome. It still is. Like, I mean, getting a chance to to go see the best players in the world. Uh, we're I feel really lucky to live here because not not everybody gets to do that who loves hockey. Sure. Oh, absolutely. It's a uh, you know, it's kind of in a weird way. Mario Lemieux sort of got me into comedy a little bit, like in, in sort of a weird roundabout way i i I can kind of give you like the the cliff notes at at a point in time and i'm sure you remember when this was happening there was a chance that the penguins were going to leave pittsburgh and mario lemieux at at the time was uh owned the team already he had already purchased the team and even though everybody was very sad about that idea you you could not say a bad thing about Mario Lemieux. He was he's he's like the Pope in Pittsburgh. Like you you yeah. do not say a bad thing about yeah. him. And I was just driving in the car with my parents. I was home from college on a break. I was like 21, 22 years old, you know, didn't know what I was gonna do when I graduated soon. And um they had the radio on, and the comedian was Ralphie May. Uh, who's no longer with us, but Ralphie May was on the radio. And again, like the whole thing was you could not say a bad word about Mario Lemieux. And Ralphie May gets on there and just roasts Mario Lemieux for thinking about selling the team. And it, it wasn't mean. It was just so funny. And and he didn't like, but no sacred cows. Like he's just like, he's just like, hey, Mario, maybe, maybe those back problems are from all the trips to the bank. Like, like just kind of, you know, like, 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 going at it and it was so funny like even the dj was trying not to laugh but he couldn't not laugh and in that moment i was just listening to that and i was just like i don't know what that was but i want to do that i want to do what that guy just did that guy just made people laugh at something they thought they weren't allowed to laugh at and and again, it wasn't like mean, like he wasn't mean to Mario, but it was just like you couldn't not laugh. Like, like yeah. it was just so undeniable. And I was like, I, I, I want to do that. I don't know what that guy just did, but I want to do that. I wasn't even into stand up comedy at the time, nor did I know it was even a, a job that was possible. But I decided that's awesome. Like, wow. Yeah. And uh yeah, and then to kind of bring it a little more full circle too, I you know years later when I was a working comic, I lived in Nashville, where Ralphie May lived at the time, and a couple of my friends knew that story, and they're like, "Dude, you got to tell Ralphie will love that freaking story. You got to tell him." And I never got to because it was like whenever we'd be around each other, it'd be like 
a big group of people like yeah, yeah. comics. I didn't want to like like oh here's a very flattering story. Let me tell you. Yeah. So I I never got to tell him that story, and and then I'm you know he that's passed too bad. Away. Yeah. And hello to the cat, by the way. Yep, that's Jack. That's, that's Jack. Yeah. Hi, Jack. How are you? Uh, He's all right. That's, that's a cool cat, man. Yeah. How old's Jack? He's about three, a little over three years old. Oh, nice. That's fantastic. He's named after Jack Hughes. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, well, so let's get into, you know, uh, the big pillars you and I have in common, of course, punk rock, hockey, and then uh, lefty politics. So what radicalized you? Started with the, like the, the punk that I got into early was the Dead Kennedys, and that's very political and I mean, punk rock's a mixed bag. It's a big tent, but I, I was always drawn to and attracted to the music that was political. Um, not so much like the sillier bands or like the, the crude humor bands. I was more always drawn to like bands like the dead Kennedys. And then a little bit later on, like crass conflict bands like that. Clash, and, are you a clash guy? Yeah. But I mean, the clash were to me, the clash were like too big. Like they were, mm. I love the clash, but like for me, it was more like the dead Kennedys thing about American politics and more specifically California politics, which was more relatable to me, I guess, than what the clash were doing, at least with, you know, at, at that point in my life, being a little kid, like what I'm, what my brain could comprehend. And my parents were both Carter Democrats. And so there was, I can remember uh, just some, some politics talked in my house and it was always uh, not as far left as I would have liked to have gone, but it was left. And, Mm -hmm. and that was during, you know, when I was really young, like when, when Nixon was president and my my parents just fucking hated him. And um, so that was, yeah, early, early punk rock. And then later on I got into, bands in the early nineties. Like there's a, there's a label called ebullition, a label called vermiform. And I was into bands like born against and Econochrist and really, really political. Um, and then getting into like gender politics and things that things that just being a, a straight cis white guy, like would have never crossed my mind. Otherwise kind of like maybe making me reexamine how I looked at the world and, and radicalized me even more. And that's when I got into animal rights and stuff as well. Uh, so like I, I was radicalized almost entirely by punk and hardcore music. And then a little bit of stuff that I read, like I read Chomsky and, and uh, diet for new America by John Robbins, which was one of the big catalysts for me becoming vegan. And, but reading like, yeah, reading Chomsky, reading Mumia Abu Jamal's book, um, just reading books about like kind of peeling back the veneer of, of the antiseptic American image of global politics over the last 50 years, just reading books about what my country really got up to and kind of coming to grips with that. Do you think punk rock can still radicalize people that way? I mean, I'm, time and experience has kind of made me cynical about it. But at the same time, there's still people that tell me that like even our band did or our band got some train of thought going in someone's head with a song that we sang or something and led them down a path of, of making some kind of positive changes in their lives, uh, becoming more active and, in in politics or animal rights or both and so that's that's gratifying to hear that for sure um, i don't know that we have the the reach that could really make a difference but there's some bands that do and i think that in the in the macro it's hard to think that it'll ever change anything but but you know people like if i if i individually decide to change or become enlightened about something or radicalized about something and something become passionate about a cause or, or, or something like that politically or with animal rights or whatever. Like I have the ability to affect people around me 
and then they can affect people around them. And so it's, I think in the macro, it's harder to see what, what kind of change it, it can have, but we don't know what, what everybody's doing in their own lives. People can be, there's all kinds of activism and would I like to see, you know, 50,000 punks in the street protesting things? I would love it. Um, but I also think it's cool when people are privately political with where they spend their money, with how they vote, with who they, you know, when they're talking to their friends or coworkers, um, being able to be positive examples of a different way of life or a different way of thinking about things. So I think it's really nuanced. And like I said, it's over the, over the years, I've become a little bit cynical about it because things didn't change as quickly as I would have liked them to, (laughs) or haven't changed as quickly as I would like them to. But, um, yeah, no, nobody promised me cash and prizes when I got into punk rock. So it's okay. (laughs) Well, when you say like you've gotten, you know, you, you've gotten a little cynical towards it over the years, like, um, uh, embellish that a little bit more. Like, like what, I mean, you're, I know you're saying like, Oh, change didn't happen as fast as I would have liked it, but, but what else, like what, what are some kind of pivotal moments where you really felt like, uh, we, we lost this one. I don't know that there's any pivotal moments where I feel like we've lost this one. I just feel like there's missed opportunities. Hmm. Uh, like, like being at a massive punk festival, with all these people with like slogans and patches on their clothes and like, but, but mainly people are just there to drink to the point where they pass out and puke. Whereas like, what if all of these people went and like marched on the Capitol? Like that would be kick ass for me, but I don't drink. So like, I can't, you know, I'm not going to be that guy. So uh, yeah, I, I, I think about like, like, man, we all have these, these things in common, these politics in common and we're all, we're all angry and we're all here together. Like we could be doing this, but instead we're doing this. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's why they don't put me in charge of punk rock. So (laughs) they never made you a mayor. Like Russ, you're the guy. Have you always been, so you're straight edge. Yeah. Have you always been? No. Okay. No, I, I, I drank way too much when I was younger. Okay. I had to stop. Okay. Uh, and, and cannabis never, I, I smoked a lot of pot when I was younger, Okay, which, which is probably explains my, my dim wittedness, but, um, <laughs> I stopped. Yeah. Like, in, I mean, in Santa Cruz in a surf town, like it's just one of those things. Like I smoked, I smoked pot cause it's easier to get than alcohol when you're underage and, and, um, everybody had it, but yeah, I, I, I haven't taken a drink or a drug in a long, long time. That's good for you. I mean, yeah, that that's that's fantastic. I I I don't do much often, and uh, I, I do think there will likely be a day where I just stop drinking, just out of you know. I I mean, usually when I drink, it's just like I'll just have a whiskey, um, or or a glass of wine, and I enjoy it. It's fine, but it's like the headaches come easier, and it's to the point where I'm just like, huh. Maybe that wasn't even worth it. Yeah, like I, I, I haven't. I got sober before I could legally drink in California, so I don't. I'd spend a long. Oh time wow. Oh, okay. Okay. But uh, yeah, I, I think I know what you mean. Like as we get older, like we don't recover as quickly, and things yeah. take, things take a little bit more of a toll on us. I just know from like my fr- my friends that that drink occasionally, like you said, and and they're like like yeah like that. I didn't even drink that much and I'm totally feeling it today. Yeah. It's like when when you're younger, you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even blink about it. It's like no big deal. Oh yeah. I mean, if I, if I had to drink with 20 something me, I I wouldn't make it through the night, you know? (laughs) And it's, yeah, it's one of those things. It's like, you're not even, you're just enjoying a nice social drink. It's, it's just refreshing. It's just so, you know, and then the next day you're like, I I just had like one. (laughs) So the road narrows. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, so what led you to the Green Party? Well, I got into, uh, when I first started voting, like a lot of Americans, I watched television and counted on, counted on 
on a quote unquote the news to inform me about what was happening and and what what I was meant to do. And I would watch these debates, and there would always be just you know two two people. And so I thought, okay, there's just two people to vote for. And and I think like the first time I, I voted for for Bill Clinton the first his first time, and then. I didn't really think about it. And then the second time I went in, I voted for Bill Clinton again, but I looked at the ballot a little closer and I was like, who are these like three or four other people? Mm -hmm. Like they're on the ballot for president, which is kind of a big deal. And this is the most important choice my country's asking me to make. And why do I know absolutely nothing about these people? Mm -hmm. Like, no, they were not in the debate. I just watched none of the news networks are even mentioning them. And isn't and I feel like that's sort of a a poverty of information here for me as a, as a voter. And I got kind of upset about it. And then I and then when I researched researched the Green Party more, I thought, wait a minute, I've been voting for like I've been voting for a party that represents a, a pretty watered down progressive agenda, which at, at that time was watered down. Now it's completely gone. Mm-hmm. Um, why would I do that when I could vote for this? I looked in the green party and I was like, wait, this is a, this is a true left party. This is a progressive party that shares my exact same values. Why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I vote for this, this party? And so I, that's when I decided to change. So like the mid nineties. I like uh poverty of information. I just wrote that down. I think that's a really cool way of putting it. And also talk about a, Talk about a cool band name or album name. Yeah, I mean, the, it's all yeah. yours, but... <laughs> hey, a, bro- a broken clock's right twice a day. <laughs> I, ran in, I run into a couple good ones here. And there. <laughs> well, I, I think I, I think Good Riddance is a good one, and I'm sure you've been asked this before, um, but I, I got it just out of pure curiosity. Did the Green Day song title ever just kind of annoy you a little bit i I mean just from a human perspective i'm not asking for gossip because i i know you're probably all friends but was there ever a time where you're just like ah god damn it it's the first thing that comes up in the search results they just had to call it that yeah it's interesting Uh, it's 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 just how it goes right like uh but people like people that casually know that i play music would want to know the name of the band and like i'm gonna look you up on youtube i'm like well just so you know, you're going to have to wade through about 16,000 12-year-old boys sitting on their bed with an acoustic guitar. Right. Um, but once you get past those guys, like you might see my band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's got to, I mean, you know, and, and again, I, I know that, I mean, you know, you're, you're a very like gracious, humble dude, but, but there's got to be... Because that sort of became a trend where, where every now and again a song like like a band would name themselves after a song or something like that, kind of out of uh out of tribute, so to speak, or not really tribute, but but like a little bit of a nod. And you know, if anyone just discovered you guys and thought that was the case, well clearly it's not because you came first. <laughs> like so I yeah, I, I just wondered if you <laughs> any thoughts you wanted to share on that. No, I mean it's just it's it's just one of those things. Like, it's just, if people, people have said to me like, Oh, like you're named your band after, after a green day song. I'm just like, yep. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> totally. I mean, why not? Who wouldn't? They're, they're a massively popular band. They are. They are. Did, did you ever, have you ever talked to any of the guys about it? Like, did they ever, did Billy ever no, mention no. like, Hey man, I don't know. <laughs> no. That's fair. Um, so let's get into some more greed party stuff. Cause I'm curious your thoughts about, you know, what's been going on as of recent. Um, what's your take on the whole thing that happened with Cornell West? I, I'm, I'm, I'm of two minds because I love Dr. West mm-hmm. and I always have. And I also think that the green party's, the green party is in a difficult situation because these days, if you don't, if you don't coalesce behind it, the Democrat, if you're even at, at any, if you lean to the left at all and you fail to 
to run into the arms of the Democrats every four years, you're, you're the worst person in the world. And so you're to, to ask somebody to run as the green candidate is kind of a no win situation. And I also like when, when Ralph Nader ran as a green, like I didn't like it because he's not a green, like he's, Mm. he's, he's a name and he's, and he's a lot of his politics align, but he's not a green, like, and that's how I feel about Dr. West. And so what I would, what I would love is it is to have people who are actually from the green party run, run the people like Jill Stein or people like David Cobb. And, uh, and I also wish that the more progressive Democrats in Congress, for example, would, would leave the party and join the green party, like join the party that, that shares the politics that they're actually talking about because the entrenched center of the democratic party will never, ever, ever let them do what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And so why not, why not take your, your, your public cachet, your, your donors, your experience and bring it to a party that is actually championing the progressive agenda that you're, that you're speaking about. But as a Democrat, if you're doing that, you're just you're shouting at the wind, basically. Yeah, I, I mean, I the whole Cornell West thing, you know, my big hope was that he would have a chance at, at getting that five percent threshold. And then, you know, his decision to leave the Greens sort of made it. Well, what's your take on his decision to not run as a Green? I mean, obviously, like he's issued a statement but like, what's, what's your perspective on, you know, I don't really have much. I, I like, I like I say, like I, he wasn't a green before. Like, I don't like these people. I don't like it when they have a candidate. That's just like a name hmm. that steps in like a Ralph Nader. And, uh, and yeah, that, that it will, it'll generate more talk. It'll, it'll maybe help the greens like claw and scratch their way to this arbitrary percentage that the political machinery in this country has forced them to, try to clear. Sure. But I, I don't think that it's sustainable. I don't think long-term that's the way that the party should be going. Like trying to, you... trying to find somebody trying to find a name sure. from, from the left political world. I, I would like to like nurture and raise up, raise up green, green candidates from within the party or get convinced convinced the really progressive uh, people who are still shilling for the democratic party to come over to the, the party that they're actually belong in. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what do you think is, is kind of a better way to go about all that then? Because, because I, I totally, you know, I totally hear what you're saying and, and I, I agree, but on the same note, well, it is kind of hard when, when you're just starting you know, like, like, like it, it can be a little easier when it's somebody that has a little bit of name recognition. It's, it's the deal. It's it's making the deal with the devil. It's like, you're getting like people, people still blame Ralph Nader for George W. Bush. And, and Ralph Nader wasn't even a green. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Like if, if we're going to get blamed for every, every single Democrat, they can't, win an election, even though Al Gore won the election. Like if we're, if we're going to get blamed for everything anyway, I'd rather get blamed as a green rather than like we, we hired, we grabbed this guy because he's a name to run for us. Do you know what I mean? No, like that's, no just, I... that's just my opinion. I'm sure like, like it makes more sense to have name recognition and to get more publicity. But I think until we open the debates, until we get rid of the electoral college, until until the Democrats stop suing to try to get greens off the ballot. Right. Um, I think that it's just going to be, it's just going to be a mess. And the greens are, God bless them. Not, not the most organized bunch. And uh, like, I'm a green because the, the politics, the platform is, is my, is my platform. It's what I want. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm a green. I'm not a green because it's, it's a well-oiled political machine, you know, but 
I'm not, I'm not willing, I'm not willing to vote for, for a, a pro-war centrist party that basically serves as Praetorian for the billionaire class. I'm not willing to do that anymore. Yeah, I, I hear you. And and as far as, you know, the greens, I mean, th- there's plenty of criticisms uh, to be thrown at the greens. On the other hand, though, while they are not the most well-oiled political machine in the world, as far as third lefty parties go, they are the furthest along one we have um, by a lot, actually. I mean, over 100 greens hold office across the country at, at some level. So it's kind of like, you know, I, I get that there's a lot of worthy criticisms and, and you can probably speak to it even better than I can. Um, but it's like, well, no one's further than them. And, and really like the, the system is set up in a way that third parties don't really have a chance. So. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm not, I'm not in business to criticize the green party. Like I'm a, sure. I'm a green registered green. I have been for a long time and, and I want to grow the party, mm-hmm. but it is the way this country works uh, with the, with the media and with the debates and with, with everything else. It's, it's like trying to fight with one arm tied behind your back. And an, I would love to see a level playing field and to see yeah. a fair fight and to see how many people, if they knew the Green Party existed and what its platform was, would actually opt for that. Um, but we're set up now to where almost everybody I know, people that I love and respect who are much smarter than me, who are, are left of center, are all going to vote for Democrats no matter what because they're terrified. And they've gotten that way because of because of the way that these the electoral landscape is portrayed to them. And so every four years, there's going to be some like horrible, horrible person that we just have to block no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I get it, I understand. But when when do we stop? When do people when do the people who would consider themselves progressive? When do we stop and just face the music and be like, we can't keep doing this? We can't keep kicking the can four years down the road, like. You guys told me four years ago that this was the most important election. Now you're telling me again it is? I've been hearing that for 25 years. Like, I know you're green. That's cool. But, like, this election, you have to do that. We have to vote Democrat. And it's like, but that's been how it's been for 25 years. Like, when when, when are we going to stop and realize that the, that the Democratic Party has sold out the progressive progressive Americans decades ago? And if you if you want to be a Democrat, be a Democrat. But if you're not but you're voting that way. Like, what are you doing? Because you can, you can maybe block this Republican or maybe in four years from now, we can block that Republican, but there's always going to be someone that you don't like. And, and I think that we need to, to stop and stand up for our, what we believe in and not just settle and not just keep running into the arms of the democratic party. Because what's happened is now the democratic party doesn't even have to pretend to care about a progressive agenda because they know that we're also scared. We'll vote for them anyway. Like for me, that's just, is just me, but like, Hey, we're not Republicans is not a platform, but yet that's what the Democrats get to use every four years. And it works. That's all they have to do. They know that everyone's going to be terrified and run into their arms and vote for them. And they'll never have to address a single iota of a progressive agenda. And as a progressive American, that that's not good enough for me. Yeah, well, and it's so frustrating. I mean, I always say of like the Democrats wouldn't be able to be as ineffective as they are if it wasn't for Republicans, and the Republicans wouldn't able wouldn't be able to be as gruesome as they are if it wasn't for Democrats. You know, it's like, but when you just have these two binary choices, and it's just like, well, what are you going to do? We're not that, and that is like extra yeah. repulsive. And we'll keep going. When you keep going lesser of two evils, the evils get worse and worse. <laughs> like like they keep getting worse and worse. Yeah. And it's it's troubling because like I like I said, like tons of people that I love and respect uh will 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 vote Democrat. Um, me too. And and then scream at me if if the Democrats lose. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so it's like you're you're screwed either way if you're a green because the because the right hates you just outright because because you're 
because you're down for like transgender rights and, and uh, environmental sustainability. Like they hate that. And so, and then the left hates you because you help them win. You help the, the Republicans win, or that's what I've been told. Mm-hmm. I've been told that when I vote for a green candidate, I'm voting for Trump. That's what I've been told. Somehow I don't I, think that's true, but that's what I, <laughs> that's what I've been told. Like, I'm pretty sure I got it. I'm pretty sure I can read the thing and I, I've checked the right box. I'm pretty sure, but I've been told now that, <laughs> that I in fact voted for Trump. You know, it, it's just so those lazy tropes just get repeated so much that, that people just start to believe it. And what's also interesting to me that is that even if, well, let me ask you this, cause I'm, I'm not, I'm not registered with any political party. I, I vote green a lot, but you know, let me ask you, has there ever been a situation where a Democratic candidate has ever come to your local Green Party and said, can I talk to you? Because it's always so interesting to me that they always say, you got to shut up and vote Democrat. You got to. OK, so if you need green votes, have you ever thought to talk to the Greens? Have you ever thought to reach out to them instead of just, you know, yelling when you don't win? I think that I think that most people who would consider themselves green or if I asked them a series of questions and their, their answers would dictate that they would be slotted as a green party person Mm -hmm. uh, will vote Democrat out of fear every single time. Uh, And so the Democrats don't have to come to the green party. Mm. They'll get all the potential green voters anyway, because people are terrified of insert name of bad Republican here. And I think that, and a part of it too, is like, if we got rid of, like, if we got rid of the electoral college, which is ridiculous that it's still even here, yeah. the Republicans would never win another election again, unless they moved towards the center. So, so when Democrats, when a democratic candidate beats the Republican candidate by like 3 million votes, but doesn't get to be president, mm-hmm. I don't understand why that's my fault. I don't understand why that's the Green Party's fault. I think it's the Electoral College's fault. And so I think that what the elect, what the Green Party could do ideally is challenge the, de- challenge the Democratic Party to defend its position where it's saying one thing and doing another with, with regards to prog- the progressive agenda. Because right now the Democrats just get a free pass. And... So if we got rid of the Electoral College, if we opened the debates, if it was a fair fight, I think it would engage a lot more voters. I think it would it would force uh, Democrats to define where, where they stand. And it would force the Green Party to, to put forth something that's more attractive and not just like sit here and be like, oh, we lost again. Like, it's so unfair. Um, I think it would be good for everybody. Uh, I, to me, to me, like, so like, let's say the libertarians, like most of, for the most part, I think libertarians are completely bonkers, mm-hmm. but they're the third biggest party in the country and they should be in the debates. And so like the, these things need to be put forth to the American people. If they're being asked to make this really important choice, why aren't we given all the information? Like if I turn the TV in Canada for a leader's debate, there's five people up there on stage. And for Canadians, it's no big deal. It's like, oh yeah, there's five parties. We're gonna, there's all there's all the leaders there. Um, so when when people don't realize here when when they watch this primetime spectacle, the presidential debates, people don't realize they're being exposed to doctrine here. It's it's yeah. a it's theater. It's not real. And so when it's a week out from a presidential election, and people ask me who I'm voting for, and I tell them, and they have no idea who that is, like that's a problem. In a, in a free society, I think. Absolutely. Um, so I'll ask you one more question on that topic. Uh, you know, Jill and, and, and I like Jill Stein a, a lot. I mean, I've interviewed her a couple of times. I, we, we've even played music together. Like, like yeah, I have, that was cool. That was so cool. You have to do that. <laughs> yeah. I have a ton of respect for her. Um, and I will, I will likely vote for her, um, again, because I'm, I mean, I'm sure I'm not going to vote democrat or republican so you know i'll probably be voting for jill i mean the primary still has to happen so we'll see but but yeah um i uh but on the same note i do kind of 
think that the Green Party needs to get some new faces. What's your thought on that? Do do you agree with that? And and if so, like like how do you think they could do that? Are, are you going to run for president in twenty four? No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Uh, well, I, like I think that like someone like Ro Canna should just should just leave the Democratic Switch Party up. and join the Greens. Like people like him, um, that would be a big help. No, he, would. He, he he would he would be able to 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 really help the Green Party, and he would be in a position where the things that he wants to do for the country, he had now has an avenue where he's just going to be shut out in the Democratic Party. Like they'll never let him. They'll, the Democratic Party will never be for single payer health care. The Democratic Party will always will always just sign a check to the Pentagon every year for three hundred and sixty five billion dollars without asking any questions. Um, the House resolution that just passed about what's going on in Israel and Palestine, which tons of Democrats were part of as well, it's just depressing. And um, like, if this is the party that's supposed to be speaking for me as a progressive American, like I'm not, I'm not too stoked. But there are people in this, inside that party who are way to the left. And I always just wonder, like, what are you doing? Like, Ro Canna, like, you're in the wrong party, dude. Like, you're, you're amazing. And, and like, the Green Party could, could use somebody like you. But so you're, in, you the wrong, think, you're in the wrong party. So you think the best way would be if some of those, you know, like, members of Congress that have built larger political brands went over to the Green Party while still holding office, which is something they could do. You think that would be the best way to, you know, basically grow the bench? I don't think I don't think it could hurt. Uh, sure. But as far as like running a national, like you have to, we have to run a presidential candidate, mm-hmm. and yeah, like I, I think I, I was more, I was more engaged in the in people like Jill Stein and and David Cobb. I mean. Mm-hmm. David Cobb was a Democrat, but like people who have done some time in the Green Party who aren't just like, here's a name. No, we got, I understand. Him, to, we got, we got him to run for us. People like Ralph Nader or people like Dr. West. And, uh, but it's, it's a long road ahead. And like, there's so many other things that need to happen because the Green Party can get whoever they want. But, but if the Democrats are going to sue you to keep you off the ballot, if the, if the majority of American voters don't even know who you are or what your what your platform is and if you're not allowed if you go to the debates and get arrested instead of being able yeah. to be on stage like that's a problem in a free country uh, it's incredible how a lot of people don't even know that happened it's happened like, twice or it's happened times. twice and and it's yeah. like well she she got arrested jill jill stein got arrested at standing rock as well but yeah. but she david you know, Cobb got arrested before that in, really in, in 2004 yeah, and it's just a basic. I mean, here's a presidential contender who just wants to, you know, be heard in a in a situation where they shouldn't have to ask to be heard. They should be on that debate stage, and and they tied her to a chair. Yeah, and, and we and, and then you hear people talk. We're if if this happens, we're going to lose our democracy. What democracy do we have to lose, though? You yeah. have to have something first to lose it. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty rough. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, yeah, I'm not going to run for president. Every time I watch The West Wing, though, I want to I want to run for president. <laughs> uh, hey, I'd vote for you, but you know, I I, I wouldn't I well, wouldn't I, wish I mean, it on you. I could start with California, the California 18th, but I'd have to un- I'd have to find a way to to get Anna Eshoo out, and she's she's been there since the Earth cooled, and she has millions of dollars, so <laughs> probably not looking too good. It's a long me. climb. Like the California 18th, but that would that would be the place to start. Yeah, yeah, or or like uh, city council. Yeah, that, I got a better chance there because Santa Cruz is a pretty hippie town. There's yeah, a green a green could maybe make some noise here, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, Ron. Uh, I don't think any of us do, man. So uh, where can people go to learn more about you? Wikipedia. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I have on social media, but it's just 
stuff about the devils and veganism. But you have a new column, don't you? I don't. I thought you were writing a column. You're not writing a column no. anymore. Oh, I wish. okay. I wish I was. All right. Okay. All right. I missed that. Well, I mean, hey, you could uh, just blog it out or something. I'm too lazy. <laughs> I want to. I want to write and then send it to somebody. No, I feel you, man. <laughs> I mean, it, that, put it somewhere. Yeah. No, I. I absolutely. I totally feel you there. Well, Russ, thanks so much for doing this. It's always great to catch up with you. It's good to see you, man. Thanks. That was Russ Rankin. Be sure to check out Good Riddance if you haven't already. They're a phenomenal band. Music for the 1000 Podcast is provided by Andrew Saxonell. Be sure to check out his podcast, The Baywatching Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I said podcast way too many times in that sentence. Leave us a five-star review, would you? It really helps out this show. This is still a very new podcast. A five-star review, a positive review really, really helps us out. And if you want to support this show on the sustainability end, you can do so over at patreon.com slash ronflacone. Uh, for a give what you can level, you get all kinds of exclusive perks. You get content not available anywhere else. You're also going to get my novel. That's a new thing. So I was going to do a patrons-only book that has since changed. Uh, it turns out I'm going to be doing a novel, and I'm going to be releasing that novel. I'm going to be releasing it everywhere, but patrons are going to be able to read it first, one post at a time. And again, that's all for a give what you can level. Plus, there's the bonus podcast between Andrew and myself. Really cool deal. For a give what you can level, even a dollar a month goes a long way. All right, that was number 23, which just so happens to be my favorite number. Lucky number 23. Catch you next week. Hey guys, Ron Placone here. Take your own 1,000 challenge. No, you don't need to interview 1,000 people, although if you want to do that, go for it. Your 1,000 challenge can be whatever you want. Maybe you want to call a friend out of the blue once a week. Maybe you want to read a book every month. Maybe you want to start a different garden every season. I guess that might be dependent on where you live. Look, the point of the challenge is taking on an endeavor that enriches your life in some way, and it can be measured. And then, of course, you do it regularly. That's what 1,000 is doing for me and hopefully for you too. The main reason for this podcast and every podcast I've ever done is to build community. So take your own challenge. Then join our Facebook group. It's called 1,000 What's Your Challenge? Question mark. That's 1,000 What's Your Challenge? Question mark. And post about what your 1,000 challenge is and the progress you're making. All I ask is that people be encouraging of each other's challenges. This is personal and vulnerable, so be cool. There's enough negativity on social media. We don't need to add to it. For those of you who aren't on Facebook, hopefully in the future we'll be expanding to places like Discord, Reddit. But for now, we're starting on Facebook. And again, that Facebook group is called 1000 What's Your Challenge. See you there.